All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. With only two weeks remaining in the NFL season, several teams around the league are looking to make the final push for postseason berths and seeding. We look ahead to important matchups in Week 16 and 17, and the questions that will be answered on the field. Since this is our final episode until after the new year, we'll look back on some of the greatest events of 2019 in the sports world. We'll hand out our choices for everything from Team of the Year to the Biggest Loser of 2019, as we give this year the send-off it deserves. And in honor of the holidays, the three of us count down our favorite Christmas songs in today's Top 5. Right, I'm uh, I'm feeling ready to go. I'm I'm feeling festive after that. We got a nice little Christmas intro. How are you guys feeling? Jolly, very jolly. <laughs> all right, all right. So uh, today, uh, while we won't be totally holiday themed, we will be looking back on some of the best and worst of 2019, as well as at the end of the episode, counting down our top five favorite Christmas songs. Before we do that, we will uh, talk about the NFL as we gear up for the final postseason push, week 16 and 17. But real quickly, of course, got to give a plug to the greatest U.S. sports moments of the 2010s bracket. Now, it's totally possible that by the time you listen to it, we'll have already crowned a champion. But if you're listening on Friday, December 20th, go ahead and vote if you haven't already. We are in the championship matchup. The 2016 Cubs winning the World Series and their 108-year title drought going up against Tiger Woods winning this year's Masters, first major victory in 11 years. All right, guys, at this point, I think we can kind of say which one uh, we're going for, uh, considering we've both already voted and there's no more voting left. I went with Tiger winning the Masters over the Cubs. Since one, I'm not really a huge Cubs fan. I'm sort of a bandwagon Cubs fan, but... Uh, I'm a big Tiger Woods fan. I'm a big PGA uh, Tour fan. And for Tiger to win not only a major, but the Masters out of all the majors, uh, coming back from all the adversity that he's gone through for the past decade uh, has got my vote. This one is hard for me because I don't feel qualified to comment on either because I don't really follow golf, don't really follow baseball. But I'm a team sports kind of guy. So, of course, I cast my vote for the Cubs because uh, if anybody... As a person who hasn't witnessed a championship for his own team in his lifetime, I hope that eventually one of my teams at some point will at least give me hope that there's a chance that they'll win a championship. So uh, for that, I voted for the Cubs. Yeah, so this was also a difficult one for me. Personal bias would have gone with Tiger Woods, but I didn't let that stand in my way from uh, voting for the team that won a championship for the first time in over a century. Uh, That has to be an awesome moment for Cubs fans and really baseball fans alike uh, as those lovable losers finally became winners this decade. So we'll see how the voting ends up. Uh, But for now, let's go ahead and look at the NFL Week 16 and 17 coming up. And 
let's kind of get this thing started out by by talking about something that we're really looking forward to seeing. And one thing I would like to see is who's going to win the NFC East because the Dallas Cowboys have been a mess. The Philadelphia Eagles have been a mess. One of them's going to win the division, and it's very likely that it's going to be decided this Sunday when the two teams meet at Lincoln Financial Field. Both teams have had very similar years this season with uh, the Cowboys and Eagles, both having really up and down years, not knowing what they're made of. The Cowboys, they started out 3-0, and but then they later this year they've lost three straight to the uh, Patriots, Bills, and Bears. But then they come out big versus the Rams this past Sunday and get a huge win. And then the Eagles, I mean, they've lost to the Seahawks and the Dolphins in, in both pretty bad games. But they also beat the Giants and Redskins, who aren't very good teams, but they uh, they gutted out both of those wins uh, at, at the very end. So I'd have, I have no idea who's going to win this division. I mean, I would lean Dallas, given that I think their, talent is, their roster is way more talented. But just when you think the Cowboys are going to succeed, they crumble. Yeah, this has been, we talked about this earlier in the season. And I think the narrative that I chose to believe still holds true is that you never know which team you're going to get when the Cowboys step onto the field. You never know what team you're going to get when the Eagles step onto the field. I don't even feel like knowing who they were last week helps you know who they are this week. So I'm still just flabbergasted at who these teams are. So honestly, it's your season in one game here. If you're the Cowboys, you have to win this game. You have to take advantage. I mean, the, the, the Eagles barely beat Washington. Like they they, struggled they barely beat against, the Giants. Yeah, it's like so. It makes me like I, I'm. I'd rather go with the Cowboys. Um, but honestly. I just want this game to be over with so we can finally decide who's better between these two flip-flop teams. Yeah, I think both of these teams are more talented than their 7-7 seven and seven record would indicate. The Eagles have kind of been decimated by injuries, and the Cowboys have been decimated by terrible coaching, uh, particularly Jason Garrett at the top. So you hear me clapping? Absolutely. And hey, you know, there's going to be a lot of that on Sunday. Uh, I think that I think this is has a potential to be a really good game, just given how much ro- like talent is on both of these rosters, how much these teams really hate each other. And of course, what's on the line? It's a de facto NFC East championship game. If the Cowboys win, they're NFC East champions. If the Eagles win, all they got to do is win week 17 against the New York Giants. Uh, which, you know, given the fact that it took them overtime to beat them at home, isn't a certainty, but it does kind of feel like uh, the Eagles should have enough momentum to close this out. From there, the winner of this game, or at least of this division, is going to have a home playoff game. And they're going to be facing a really good team in that wildcard round, uh, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see if either of these teams can actually go anywhere um, after actually making the postseason, or if it's just going to be a nice little reason for the fans to be excited about 2020. Yeah, so with the Seahawks and Niners also uh, in their own uh, division uh, showdown coming up in Week 17, assuming they win both of their games uh, this week, one is going to end up the one seed likely, but the other is going to end up the five seed facing either the Cowboys or the Eagles. And my question to you guys is, do you think they should the NFL should change the playoff, playoff format or do you like it the way it is? So I, I'm going to take this opportunity to, to um, plug my fantasy football league, Dustin Squad, uh, the best fantasy football league in, in, on, like, on the planet. 
And part of the reason it's the best is because we have messed with the rules every year for the last six years to make it into something kind of unique. And this last year, we implemented divisions. Uh, And we did it just like the NFL, where uh, you get, like, if you win your division, you get the one through four seed. We had four divisions. So, um, and it created like a new dynamic where the people in your division were your rivals and you, everything you did revolved around being better than them. And then eventually in the postseason, you try to be better than everybody else. I mean, you still played the other guys, but you added this new element and the NFL has that as well. And as much as I would hate for the Niners to be the fifth seed and have to go to an NFC East team, I love that the NFL has this dynamic where these three teams that you play twice a year matter so much to you. Your season is heavily impacted by the way that you match up against them and you play them more than anybody else. You know, you have an, you have a chance to you know, beat them and win your division. So I, I think without seeding it like this, a division title means almost nothing. Uh, and by having them host a, a playoff game, it gives them so much meaning. So if we didn't seed them like this, then I'm almost in favor of just doing away with divisions altogether because what's the point? I, I agree with that. Um, absolutely. I mean, that's basically what the NBA has when they decided that uh, winning division guaranteed you nothing. And to me, maybe I'm just a traditionalist, but I like the way the NFL has done it. And we we talk about stuff like this all the time, it feels like, or at least, you know, every few years. At the beginning of the decade, you know, while the NFC West this year has three loaded teams and one who's going to be a really good wild card, uh, at least in terms of their record, 2010, the Seahawks won the division at 7-9. and nine. And they actually won a playoff game. The Carolina Panthers in 2014, 7-8-1, won the division, won a playoff game. Um, And of course, having that home field advantage, you can argue whether it's fair or not when you look at the two teams' records, but absolutely, Ben. Divisions mean something. If you win your division, I think it's fair to give yourself a home game. And if you're truly better than this really bad division winner, you'll end up winning that game. So that was that was gonna be my point that if for the Saints that year when they were eleven and five facing the seven and nine Seahawks, if you're not good enough to to beat the seven and nine Seahawks that season, then you're not you're not good enough to win a Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. uh, I agree with you guys that divisions like, should matter. And it doesn't happen too often where a crappy 7-9, 8 team wins their division. But it happens once in a while. And and there was also a game where the Chargers were, or a season where the Chargers were 8-8, eight and eight, and they beat the 12-4 and four Colts when Peyton Manning was on, on their roster. So, yeah, I, I enjoy it. when It's kind of funny that it happens when teams that bad still make the playoffs but it also is worth something the division is worth something so i yeah. agree with you guys i i doubt so yeah i'm glad we're all in agreement because yeah, i've heard I'm, a lot I'm surprised of surprised by that yeah i've heard of a, a lot of people complaining about it this year but as as a fan of a team that might suffer from the uh, current setup i still don't have a problem with it because if you can't win your division then you don't deserve that uh that home field advantage um but the, that leads us to talking about like the the Niners and Seahawks. Like, who's going to win this division? And honestly, you guys, it is not it is not looking good for the Niners right now. They uh, the like rate of attrition for this defense has been humongous, and there's no guarantee that they're going to get all their key players back uh, for this matchup against the Seahawks. So it it is if history tells us anything, like if you just look back at the Niners Seahawks rivalry. It does not end well for the Niners when they go to CenturyLink in a competitive game with the playoffs on the line. And I have hopes that things will be different. But with the way that we keep losing key players and the Seahawks keep being able to win without their key players, I am 
feeling a little bit not that hopeful about winning the West. Yeah, and it's it's not even a guarantee that Week 17 is going to mean anything, which is something that Ben and other 49ers fans learned the hard way when the, the Falcons pulled off a shocking victory in Santa Clara. And if the 49ers can't beat the Rams at home on Saturday, then they can't win the division, assuming Seattle beats Arizona Week 16, as expected. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is not the time for the 49ers to you know, start losing games after how great their season has gone. So it's not time to be dealing with injuries. Uh, so I guess from your fans' perspective, are you are you optimistic about the team's chances, or are you really feeling like it's it's going to be a, a tall task for them to to take the division at this point? Listen, George Kittle is playing like a madman right now. I still like Jimmy is still like he hasn't shaken loose all the doubters, but he's played great. I. Also, the people were claiming that Kyle Shanahan's like play calling against the Falcons was really vanilla because the Falcons have a really similar defense to the Seahawks, and they're like, "Oh, he's just like playing it close to the chest, trying to squeak out a win, and then he can use all the secret good plays against the the Seahawks." But I mean, just being realistic, I feel like it's an uphill battle from here. The, on like on the bright side, we did uh, secure a playoff berth after the loss to the Falcons, so we're in the postseason. So no matter what happens, we at least get a chance to, to, to play. But home field advantage would be so much nicer. Uh, I just It really depends how quickly we can get people back. D Ford is already out for Week 16. There was hope that he would come back from his hamstring injury. They've already said he's not going to play uh, on Saturday, which is going to be really tough uh, as our D-line just continues to lose talent. Um, but you've got a guy like Nick Bosa out there. There's always a chance uh, that the Niners – I mean, I'm still, I have faith that they can win, but – just looking at it on paper, it's it's going to be tough. I would still have faith if I were if I were a Niners fan. I mean, look at the last three games they've played. They've played the what the Packers, Ravens, and Saints. Oh, before the Falcons game, of course. They played the Packers, Ravens, and Saints, three legit playoff teams. And then all of a sudden, they weren't as focused against the Falcons, and it cost them. Now, if they refocus a little bit uh, after that pretty brutal loss, uh, I think they they're still in good shape. And they faced Jared Goff and the Rams this week, and they shut him down. They shut him down for what seventy-eight passing yards in their first meeting. So, and that was home Jared Goff. So I can only imagine what road road Jared Goff will look like, especially after losing badly to the Cowboys. And so it sets up for a yeah week seventeen showdown in Seattle, and who knows what will happen. Well, I'll just say this, and then we can move on. But it's a different defense that's out there right now. Um, the this Niners defense is not as good without Richard Sherman. It's not as good without Jakowski Tart. It's not as good without uh, you know DJ Jones. It's it, it's there's there's been a lot of it's not the same defense that's out there. So like you really saw that on display when the Niners decided to kick that field goal uh, and go up by more than three points against the Falcons, and then the Falcons drove down the field. That's not normally a drive. That happens if the 49ers, if the you know first half of the season 49ers defense is out there. Um, I think Kyle Shanahan decided not to go for it uh, on fourth down because he trusts his defense. But right now, we just don't have the talent out there to have a defense you can trust that much. And yes, the offense is doing well, and, and maybe he you know goes for it in that situation next time. Uh, but that's something we just have to know because, like I said, the defense is not the same. But moving on to the AFC South. The Red Hot Titans came uh, came face to face with reality when Deshaun Watson decided to end their little uh, their little hot streak there, and maybe uh, you know their uh, 
their postseason hopes. Not they didn't snuff them out completely, but made it a little bit harder. I think that was that was definitely one of those games that really could go either way. It's hard to know what you're going to get out of either of those teams. And I think the Titans with Ryan Tannehill have been much more consistent and predictable than the Titans with Marcus Mariota. But if you look back at all their games, it's not like they're blowing people out. You know, they they beat the Raiders pretty good, but their win against the Chiefs came down to the, the last minute, this improbable Ryan Tannehill touchdown drive, and then a, a blocked field goal at the buzzer. Uh, they had a lot of victories like that. Even their win over the Chargers earlier in the year uh, when Ryan Tannehill, I believe that was his first start, uh, that came down to a, a crazy goal line stand. So uh, for the Titans, it did kind of feel like they could be in for a bit of a wake-up call eventually, and the Texans... How do you even explain the Texans' last three weeks beating the Patriots, getting destroyed by the Broncos, and then going into Nashville and uh, taking care of business against their rival Titans with them a win away from clinching this division? Well, I blame it. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say, I still don't trust the Texans no matter what they do. Like you said, Corey, they... Yeah, they beat the Patriots, but then all of a sudden they lost to the Broncos. They got killed by the Broncos at home, and that's just another inconsistent team that I don't trust. And if they win the division, I can just see them getting bounced out in the first round on the useless ESPN game at home. And uh, I like Deshaun Watson, but I mean, if you look at, he's been in the league, or he's been a starter in the league longer than Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, but Mahomes and Lamar Jackson have had singularly amazing MVP seasons, but I don't think Watson has, has made that next jump yet at, uh, carrying a team possibly deeper into the playoffs. Uh, not that Lamar has, but it's certainly looking that way right now for the Ravens. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just don't have faith in the Texans going much far, much far in the playoffs. I don't know. Deshaun, I, Deshaun Watson is like the biggest reason I like the Texans. I mean, also he's throwing to uh, DeAndre Hopkins and when he's healthy, Will Fuller, but I the thing is that the going back to why they have such an unpro, like a weird last couple of weeks my closest attempt at explaining what what's been going on with them is they just start slow and against the Broncos they, by the time they got started they're like oh no we already lost because <laughs> they let the Broncos score so much so early um, but if they can survive the the early onslaught and and once things get going. I just, I don't know. There's something about that that Deshaun Watson deep ball to DeAndre Hopkins that I think we're going to see a lot of in the postseason. And now that they put them, now they beat the the Titans, we're uh, you know we're we're really going to get a chance to see it. And that that was an example of them starting off hot. Uh, they were up fourteen to nothing at halftime, and that that's a Titans offense that has been moving the ball really well. Uh, so that that is one of those things um, that that Houston team, if they can come out at their best, and I think that they're absolutely one of the better teams in the NFL. Uh, but we've seen them be inconsistent for far too long under Bill O'Brien. And you know, as great as a Sean Watson is, I don't know if he can single handedly uh, turn those things around. So week seventeen is gonna be a huge game for both of these teams because, uh, well, I guess for Houston, if they have an opportunity to go into that game already being division champions. But as a four seed, uh, they have the opportunity to still move up. They own the tiebreaker over the Patriots and over the Chiefs. So there is a, a possibility, at least when you look at seeding for them, um, that that game could still mean something. And for the Titans, because their game is against the Saints, NFC 
week 16 at home, you know, even if they were to lose that game, they can still uh, find themselves in a position to clinch a playoff spot with a win week 17 in Houston. So uh, I guess, you know, from there talking about other teams uh, when it comes to clinching playoff spots. So Houston and Tennessee, one of them is going to make the playoffs for sure. Maybe both of them looking at another division in the AFC, the Bills and the Patriots have both already clinched playoff berth. Now, in all likelihood, the Patriots are going to win the division. Even if they lose to Buffalo on Saturday, all they got to do is beat Miami Dolphins at home in Week 17, a Dolphins team who could very easily be in a better position to lose when it comes to getting a better draft pick. Uh, but I think there's a lot of questions about the Patriots, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, one thing that I'm really interested to see in these uh, last two weeks is if that offense can get rolling and get themselves right as they enter the playoffs, something we saw them do last year around this time. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Patriots offense, it's really just Edelman and then a lot of targets that Brady doesn't trust. And Edelman is really just crawling to the finish line right now with his with his injuries. And I don't know how much longer he can last. And so it's really up to, I think it's really up to if Nikhil Harry if he can take that next step of being uh, a legit first round receiver that the Patriots were hoping for. And yeah, he was injured early in the season, but he hasn't had many great moments or games until this past weekend when he scored that nice touchdown versus Cincinnati, but it's the Bengals. Like, I mean, I don't know how much stock I can put into that. Uh, but yeah, like the defense, the defense has been killing it, but they've also have struggled against teams that are a little bit better in terms of competition. I don't know how I, I know last year I wasn't uh, I didn't have that much faith in the Patriots going deep into the postseason, but they ended up proving me and other people wrong. But it's looking even worse this year. And I don't know. Uh, it looks like the 2009 Patriots right now that will go into the playoffs, but didn't just lose right away. So I don't know. I'm not feeling good about it, their chances. Well, at least cheating against the Bengals paid off. Yes, it did. It did. So if they can cheat, by, what it, three touchdowns? If they can get away with more cheating, I think that there's a lot of wins ahead of them in the postseason. As long as they keep cheating a lot, especially in the next couple games, they got the Bills and Dolphins, and at home, <laughs> where they can <laughs> deflate the balls in the the what the locker room that they have. I don't know what happened last time, but I mean they they able they were able to do it at home last time. I, I don't necessarily think they should need to resort to cheating to win games, but I, I think one thing that could help them is if they can get the running game going. Uh, that's something that's, that, that was key. That was a key last year in the playoffs. That was a key last year in the playoffs when Sony Michelle and the running game really took off. I mean, it, it's all comes down to the offensive line. Their offensive line has just really struggled this year. And David Andrews, their center was, hasn't played a single game this season. And, it's the sneaky, sneaky, the biggest uh, injury to their roster right now because, like I just said, the offensive line has been a mess, and it was the reason why they won it all last year because they turned that corner, they turned around and and got the running game going, and Sony Michelle had three huge games. Yeah, so I, I think that that's certainly something to keep an eye on with the Patriots. Uh, they're in a position to be able to get a first round buy still. Uh, but uh, getting the number one overall seed and home field advantage seems tough, and it's going to take a win over the Bills this weekend to to really like their chances of getting that two seed as opposed to having to play on wildcard weekend. So if you look at the rest of the AFC, it looks like the Ravens are going to clinch the top seed, 
and the Patriots and Chiefs are going to get the two and three seed and so on with the Texans probably getting the four. And my question is for you guys, do you think there's any hope of of someone beating the Ravens out of the AFC? Or is it this is it the Ravens year to make the Super Bowl? That that is a tough question. Again, it's postseason Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I think that the seeding really does matter for them. Like winning the number one seed uh again like over the Ravens would be huge for the Patriots because they already lost to him once this year, and it's it's interesting. The, the Ravens are really good, but they also looked really good going into the postseason last year, and then they got, quote-unquote, exposed. Uh, so we'll really just have to see. There's been plenty of great regular season quarterbacks, and I'm not saying Lamar Jackson is a normal kind of guy, but uh, we'll have to see how that, po- like, that translates in the January football. I think with the way that the Ravens have been playing – you know, over the last nine games, haven't haven't lost. Uh, they've had games where the offense has exploded, and they've had games where the offense hasn't been uh, quite as great going up against best def- or league's best defenses, and they're still finding ways to win games. The defense has drastically improved from the start of the season to where they are now. It's hard to pick against them. And, well, I think that the Patriots certainly could have a chance when you kind of factor in the whole Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, playoff mystique factor. Uh, I I think that the team that I'm looking toward is a team that already beat them this season. That's Kansas City Chiefs. And winning an arrowhead over the Ravens in week three is much different than winning at M&T Bank Stadium in the AFC Championship game. But I think that, you know, Patrick Mahomes, while he hasn't been the at, at his greatness this season, I he think hasn't put up the has stats. been an issue. He hasn't put the stats as like last year, but I think he's played smarter this year. If that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think he, he has that potential in him. He knows how close he came last year. I think that um, I, I would not surprise me at all if Patrick Mahomes really continues to light it up because he had a really great game against the Broncos in the snow this week. And I think uh, from there he can continue that momentum. Now, one of the big things with the Chiefs is their run defense has been not great. They're, yeah, and, their secondary has been has definitely improved that they've just been killed by basically every running back this year. Yeah, and I, I think that could be a very tough matchup for them going up against the Baltimore Ravens, but I, I do think that could be a game that could prove to be a shootout and something that you know I, I at least like my chances of Patrick Mahomes in a shootout. Um, obviously, last year he lost a shootout to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, uh, but I, I do think that's one team that I'm looking for uh, when I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint someone who can stop Baltimore. The Ravens should definitely be favored, but yeah, if I had to pick any other team, I I mean, I can't just, for the Patriots, the only thing I have going for me in terms of picking them would be, yeah, Brady and Belichick and the Patriots have, in the past, of course, for, what, 15, 20 years, have proven so many times in January and into February that they're the best, but it's really, just really not looking good right now, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. So if I were to pick anyone, yeah, it would be the Chiefs since they were that close last year, but clock management and uh, silly mis- offside call by D Ford kind of cost them. So I can see, I can see, like it's like what you said, Corey. I can see uh, a shootout if it were Chiefs uh, Ravens uh, if they were to be in an AFC Championship game. All I know is I'm really looking forward to seeing these AFC division winners go up against each other in the postseason because we've got some great quarterbacks, Tom Brady, uh, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, potentially if they win the division, Deshaun, uh, or, uh, Deshaun, Watson. Deshaun Watson. But 
there's a team that doesn't have a great quarterback that might make the playoffs, and that's the Steelers. <laughs> they still <laughs> might do it. Yep. They still might make it, which would be so amazing. I have so little faith in that offense, but that defense fights tooth and nail, uh, and they're still alive this year. And, Corey, how are you feeling about their chances to get that final playoff spot? You know, I think that uh, the the loss against the Bills, uh, you definitely walk away from that feeling a little deflated because, you know, Duck Hodges had been inspirational and uh, he had been such an improvement over Mason Rudolph. And the fact of the matter was he was getting better and better every single week. He stopped making big mistakes and against the Cardinals, he was nearly perfect. Uh, you know, he only threw for 152 yards. But he was 16 and 19 passing, didn't throw an interception. And then he comes out, and I think the game plan wasn't necessarily in his favor, uh, throwing the ball 39 times to only 14 rushes against a Bills defense that is really, really good at defending the pass and not as good at defending the run. Uh, but that four interception performance for Hodges, including two in in the uh, end zone, uh, one of them late in the game that uh, could have potentially tied it. So I think that there's there's definitely reasons to be alarmed, but... He's played well against bad teams, and the defense is still great. They played really, really well against the Buffalo Bills. They're put in a tough position with a short field a couple times. Uh, and Going up against the Jets and potentially the Ravens backup, it feels like the path is still there for the Steelers to at least get to the postseason. Yeah, that Bills-Steelers game was one of the most brutal games I've ever watched. It was really just who's not who's going to win the game, who's going to lose the game. And yeah, Duck Hodges' four interceptions definitely did not have his best performance uh, yes, but let's not let's not undervalue the defenses here. That was a I mean, I have little faith in both of these offenses, but they both have like very good defenses. So, and sometimes that's what football is about is just playing that hard-nosed the defense wins championships. Defense. Yeah, and well, <laughs> yes, that saying definitely has a lot of legitimacy to it, but even if, if the Steelers make the postseason for me, that's it. That's like, you did it. You made the postseason in a year no, where yeah, you should have been bottom of the league. Congratulations. <laughs> and like, don't be disappointed when you that's get like, wrecked. That, that was my exact thought after that game. That I, I still think the Steelers will make the playoffs, but right after that, like that's it. <laughs> but with what they've been through this year, I mean no disrespect by saying that Like I'm pretty certain it'd be a first-round exit, but that it's... It truly is amazing. And especially if they do make the postseason, Tomlin's got to be coach of the year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Mike Tomlin, if the Steelers make the playoffs, very deserving coach of the year. And it's crazy saying that because I've definitely soured on Tomlin in years uh, recently. feels like last year that team missing the playoffs when they had a healthy Ben Roethlisberger, when they had Antonio Brown, when they had a Pro Bowl healthy running back in James Conner and Pro Bowl healthy wide receiver in Juju Smith-Schuster. It it just felt like the coaching was a big problem for that team. And uh, just year after year getting not as close as you think they should be with all that talent on the offensive side of the ball. But this year, going back to those roots, uh, you know, the Steel Curtain Steelers, even those Super Bowl teams in 2005 and 2008, it was all about the defense and Ben Roethlisberger, you know, not necessarily just being a game manager, but he wasn't throwing for 5,000 passing yards when they were winning the Super Bowl. And um, I think that's kind of what the Steelers have gotten themselves back to. And Tomlin there's a ton of credit for what he's done. And the defense deserves a ton of credit for um, just being able to keep this team afloat as long as they have. If the Steelers make the playoffs, that's a win for me. 
So, you know, if they get anywhere from there, great. Um, I'll certainly be rooting for them the, the whole way. But um, to me, the, the expectations kind of cap out at a postseason berth, which the fact they started one and four, Ben Roethlisberger was lost for the season after two games. Um, I don't think that's anything that anyone can really uh, say negative thoughts about. I know I said this multiple times, but yeah, even though uh, I've said negative things about Tomlin for years and that he shouldn't be, the, he should have been fired. Uh, I he has had a good year though this season and he should be in the coach of the year running whether if he wins or if it's Shanahan uh, or Harbaugh uh, I think I mentioned this last time I just I loved when uh, he named Duck Hodges the starring QB he said why'd you go with Hodges over Rudolph he said he's not gonna kill us <laughs> basically throwing basically saying Mason Rudolph can't play and I just yeah, thought, I just love the honesty it was all the turnovers, and that and that was something that Hodges did on Sunday night. He killed the Steelers with those interceptions. The defense did everything they could to keep that team in the game, and you know a lot of it was him kind of being forced into making plays that you don't uh, can't really rely on an undrafted rookie to make. Listen, uh, but listen, hopefully he it, can turn it around. When you yeah. when you start a quarterback with the name Duck, you're. It's only a matter of time before you throw those four interceptions. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's not because a duck is a silly name. It's because when you throw a football badly, you call it, it's a duck, dude. You hear you can literally hear quack quack when it's flying through the air, and you know, oh no, that's not going to our. I feel like I feel like if the Steelers and Patriots were to face each other, though, that could really help the Steelers since I don't think the Patriots can cheat off of duck calls, though. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe they can advance farther. If the Steelers end up beating somebody, like making the playoffs and then beating somebody, oh my gosh, what an amazing spoiler. Like that would be, that would be uh, tremendous and extremely embarrassing for whoever gets beat. Yeah, I mean, at that point, we're going to start asking if the Super Bowl video is going to start with Antonio Brown doing something crazy or, you know, Ben <laughs> Rosberger grabbing his elbow running the sideline. It would start um, with Al Michaels saying, do you believe in miracles again? And then... <laughs> Miracle, they'll make a movie out of it. Miracle 2, starring Duck Hodges. Duck Hodges. Can't wait to see that already. Um, I think the the last thing that I'd like to talk about with the NFL, kind of shifting gears back to the NFC. So we've talked about the NFC East. We've talked about the NFC West. We haven't talked about the NFC North or the NFC South champion New Orleans Saints. I mean, you're looking at the Packers and Vikings. They're going to be playing each other week 16, Monday Night Football. Saints just coming off a Monday night football victory over the Colts. Drew Brees breaking the all-time passing touchdown record. Uh, I I would like to see, you know, if any of these three teams can uh, cement themselves as that number two seed in the NFC and from there kind of build on uh, a late season push to find themselves in the Super Bowl. I think the postseason, particularly in the NFC, I think it's wide open this year with you can make a case for any six teams, I, I feel like. with, I mean, I thought, I thought for the longest time the Saints were the best team in football. The Niners might be, but they might be a 5C with the Seahawks being as good as they are. And then the the Vikings, who are 10-4, and four, and they're not going to have Dalvin Cook for the last couple of games, and they're waiting for him to be healthy for the playoffs. And then the Packers, they might be the least talked about team in the NFC, I, I feel like. Uh, so it's... It's really, and, and then of course maybe the Cowboys if they turn it around with how much talent they have. So you can make a case for really any team out of the, out of the NFC. I feel like. Yeah, I feel that way too. I mean, Drew Brees was unstoppable this week, and I know I I remember when he got the uh, like the passing yards record. He played great that night too, and of course he like 
I th- didn't he set the record for completion percentage in a game? I, yeah, uh, I think it was minimum thirty attempts. Yeah, as well. He he broke twenty nine. He's only for 30. one incompletion. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, come on, dude. If you're, th- if you're throwing twenty nine for thirty, uh, there's no stopping this man. So I know it was the Colts, and um, ironically, he was breaking Peyton Manning's record against his old team, but or one of his old teams, but. I don't think anybody wants to play the Saints uh, in the postseason. I, what's, uh, even as what's a Niners fan, Al, Alvin Kamara hasn't even really had that great of a season, and they're still playing the way they are right now. So, you know, Drew Brees is, has been battling that injury as well. I mean, he's had some really great games, like on Monday night, and he's had some other you know dud performances. So, yeah, I, I think the Saints, uh, to me, losing to the 49ers was a tough loss for them uh, when you look at the their final record and what that means to the standings. But uh, they, they absolutely still need to be in that conversation for not just best team in the NFC, but best team in the league and uh, one of the top favorites to make it to the Super Bowl. Well, and, and um, also, if they end up... Like you said, Drew Brees' injury, say something happens to Drew Brees. Uh, one of the few teams that actually has a legitimate, like, great backup quarterback that we've seen, like, this season, we've all bared witness to his greatness. Taysom Hill could easily take the Saints all the way um, in the postseason. So Super it's, Bowl MVP. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, hey, and if worse comes to worse, and that, that Teddy Bridgewater guy didn't lose a game this year either as quarterback. That's right. So. Oh, yeah, oh, to- almost forgot about uh, Teddy Bridgewater. He's also uh, third-best quarterback on the Saints and still very, very good. Yeah, and I guess uh, just looking at those two NFC North teams, so the Packers are in really good shape to win that division. Even with a loss to Minnesota on Monday night, uh, they would need to lose to the, the Detroit Lions in Week 17, and uh, it seems kind of difficult for the Lions to beat anybody right now. But uh, that Packers team has certainly been struggling a little bit. Uh, they they barely pulled out victories over the um, Washington Redskins and uh, the you know the Chicago Bears this past weekend. A game felt like they could have put them away, and the the Bears it came down to the final play. So. Um, I, I am kind of curious to see if Aaron Rodgers can you know turn that team around to get back to the postseason in the uh, you know first time in uh, three years now and uh, lead Green Bay on a deep postseason run. Do they have enough weapons outside of Adams and Aaron Jones? I mean, after those two, it's kind of pretty downhill after that. Jamal Williams has flashed at times. Jimmy Graham has uh, some postseason experience. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think the defense will definitely play an important role for them because uh, at times that defense has been right up there as one of the best in the league, and at other times they've been exposed as uh, not a team as great as we think. I remember so. in the beginning of the season they were looking like a top-five defense, but then all of a sudden they got exposed on Thursday night versus Wentz in the Eagles. So that, that'll be interesting to see if how legit their defense is. Yeah, but I guess going back to Brian's point, it really does feel like all the teams still alive in the NFC have at least a a reason to believe they can go on a Super Bowl run. Uh, Of course, in the case of the Cowboys and Eagles, they have to get there. And some of these other teams, you know, being able to win the division in the case of Seattle, San Francisco, Green Bay, Minnesota, or, you know, get that by that home field advantage that the Saints are seeking. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely have a lot more confidence in uh, some of these teams two weeks from now. And it'll, it'll be very exciting to see how things shake out. So uh, with that, let's wrap things up for the NFL and move on to our recap of 2019. Uh, We'll give out some honors, some of the the best and the worst, the highs and the lows. And let's get things started by handing out our team of the year. So for my 
best team of the year, I went with the Washington Nationals. Coming into the year, they lost Bryce Harper in the offseason. And then to start the season, they were looking like they were not going to be a playoff team whatsoever. And then they they make the postseason. They win the one-game playoff. And then they face the Dodgers, who have made the World Series uh, two years in a row. In Game 5, they're down a couple runs into the eighth inning. And then they tie the game and then eventually win. And then they sweep the Cardinals. And then they go to the World Series versus the Astros, who are the most loaded team in baseball. And they are down, I think, what was it, like 3-2 to two in the series. And then Strasburg, uh, he lights up the Astros lineup. And then they go into Game 7, and they're losing that game. And then Howie Kendrick has the big home run. And then the Nationals uh, score a little bit more, and and they end up winning the World Series. And honestly, like... look. I don't. I didn't really care who won the World Series if the Red Sox uh, aren't in the postseason. But the the longer the postseason went on, the more I felt like I was deep down rooting for the Nationals to win. They were just in every game uh, they were playing, and so I went with them as my as best team award. I didn't even have to think twice about this one. It's easy, uh, and I for my team of the year is United States Women's National Team. Back-to-back world champions in a sport where the rest of the world actually does compete, so it's a fitting title. Um, back-to-back too, like that's not easy to do, and that it's like super easy to brag about. <laughs> and there are memorable moments in it. Megan Rapinoe's doing like the extended arms kind of at a slant thing. That's an iconic image. Alex Morgan triggering an entire nation by sipping tea after scoring a, a, a goal, and also just throughout the whole thing, all of these women's. Uh, like totally like making misogynists worldwide furious by being a relevant women's sports uh, situation going on. And I, I loved seeing my nation re- represented so well on the national stage. So my team of the year, definitely United States women's national team. Absolutely agree with you, Ben. Uh, just easy choice for me. There are a lot of great champions across North American sports, but there's only one uh, outstanding U.S. champion. That's the U.S. women's national team. So much fun to root for uh, during that uh, that World Cup run. I'm not even a huge soccer fan. and you know, Like you said, Ben, this team was so good that they had true-blooded Americans rooting for the France national team in the World Cup because they were just that <laughs> dominant. So, <laughs> um, yeah, to me, U.S. women's national team was an, an easy and obvious answer here. So not to say that Brian's choice of the Nationals is not a great choice uh, as a team because they won it for the first time in franchise history. And uh, Washington baseball has not uh, had a whole lot of success, really Washington sports in general. Uh, And speaking of first time champions, 2019 had a lot of those. Three of the four North American major sports, we had them in the college ranks as well as some uh, individuals across some of those uh, individual sports. So who is your first-time champion? I'll I'll go first on this one, Uh, and you guys may be able to guess, but I went with the Raptors. Uh, Finally, the the nation that gave us basketball finally wins one, Uh, and it was super cool to see. Not only it ends the Warriors dynasty, but also to have everybody's favorite basketball player, the uh, board man uh, leading the way and uh, getting them that first championship before packing his bags and heading elsewhere. (laughs) Good luck on your second one. <laughs> so I went really, really off the grid with this pick. But uh, if you look at the boxing world, this guy named Andy Ruiz, who if you look him up and what his figure looks like, he looks like a pretty chubby guy. And he goes up for the heavyweight title versus 
uh, Anthony Joshua, who's the prototypical Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson-looking dude, uh, for the heavyweight title, and he ends up winning. And it ends up being one of the biggest upsets of all time for him to become a first-time heavyweight champion of the world. And what I also love about uh, Andy Ruiz is all the memes that have come out ever after he won uh, the heavyweight title. And my favorite one in particular is, uh, remember the kid from Up, uh, Russell? (laughs) (laughs) He has now grown up uh, to to fight Anthony Joshua and winning... The world heavyweight title. If you look him up, it is it is basically identical. So that's just one of my favorite memes. And so I went with Andy Ruiz as best first time champion. That is a great pick. Also, he's a Mexican American. Uh, so me and Mexican Americans everywhere know that if we ever just get super fat, we that's can. That's nothing. He's inspired all uh, overweight, so- <laughs> out of shape people in this world that there is still hope. You can still punch exactly. really hard. <laughs> yeah, no, it, great, great choice. Uh, great first time champion. I really did not expect you to go that far off the grid. Um, I actually have two that I want to talk about, so I'm kind of go with co-champions. So I know you guys both mentioned the Nationals and the Raptors, uh, very deserving for this. But there are two teams that really stand out to me. One, sorry, Brian, St. Louis Blues. I knew you were going to say it. I knew you were going to say it. They have been a franchise. Uh, so they weren't part of the original six, but they joined right after. So they've been around for 50 years. This is a team that made the playoffs, I think, like 25 years in a row. Never even made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, let alone won the Stanley Cup Finals. This year, on January 2nd, or right at the start of the year, they were the worst team in the NHL points-wise. And they went on to win the Stanley Cup. I think that's just an unbelievable turnaround, something that we haven't seen across sports in a very long time. So to me, the St. Louis Blues are very deserving. And another one, looking at the college ranks, the Virginia Cavaliers men's basketball team. The year before, they became the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed in the tournament. And what do you do to make people forget about that? You win the national championship the next year. Uh, That absolutely is a big reason um, for me to choose Virginia. Uh, I don't really like them, per se, as a North Carolina basketball fan, ACC rivals. But, you know, the whole nation was making fun of them in March 2018, and then April 2019, we're all watching them crown champions. And now they can make fun of themselves losing to UMBC and appreciate that moment because they, they did what they had to do the following year. So co-champions for me, Blues and the Cavs. All right, so next... You know, we've been doing the greatest U.S. sports moments of the 2010 bracket this whole month, but let's just focus on the best sports moment of 2019. So, Well, I had Tiger Woods. I, I told you guys uh, when we were off the air that if I were doing a Final Four of this, I would have had Tiger Woods winning the Masters in my Final Four, and that happened this year. So I went with Tiger Woods winning the Masters uh, as my personal uh as my favorite uh, best moment of 2019 and through all the adversity that he had gone through some of it self-inflicted of course but then he also had to deal with all the injuries particularly with his back and everyone out there said that it was not possible for him to uh you know compete competitive competitively anymore uh and be any good and he ended up winning the masters out of all the majors so Tiger Woods gets uh, my favorite best moment. Yeah, I think a lot of us really started to doubt if uh, Tiger would ever win another major. And uh, 
he did it on the the biggest stage of all, in my opinion. When you look at the four winning the Mass Series, yeah, I Masters agree. This it may not be my um, personal number one moment of the decade, but it is my number one moment of 2019. Uh, 11 years since he won his major, comes out and win that one. I don't know if he'll win another one. Uh, he definitely kind of fell off yeah. after that, at least yeah, being, in the major being, game. But Being three behind Jack Nicholas is not ideal, but do I think he can win at least one more? I think he can, but getting to the 18 The fact is that he's really still difficult. going, making golf interesting for a lot of casual fans, uh, I think that, to me, makes it the, the best moment of the year. All right, well... Um, for, I, I do love the idea of like a great sports moment where, you know, there's usually a lot of buildup, but having the, just a few mo- like seconds that kind of encapsulate a feeling I think is amazing. And for me this year, uh, that moment happened in game seven of the Raptors 76ers series in Toronto, Kawhi Leonard with the game winning buzzer beater that bounced back and forth. Oh, Will it go in? Even Kawhi Leonard wasn't sure. And when it dropped in, the the just pure euphoria. I'm not even a Raptors fan, but to see a shot like that go in, it's such an important shot. The whole series on the line, a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals on the line, uh, was just amazing. And for me, it's easily my number one sports moment of 2018. That would be my next choice. Yeah, I mean, I it was probably going to be one of the two um, for me, and I think it was pretty predictable that Ben would go with that one and Brian would go with the Masters. Hey, those two met in that uh, greatest moments of or the 2010s bracket, and Tiger Woods won then, and this time, you know, two-to-one advantage, uh, Brian and I. But, of course, <laughs> two, two <laughs> awesome moments, you know, no, no doubting that. So uh, let's move on. Our next honor, and that is the best game of 2019. So this is so I went with two games, but they both happened on the same day. Uh, the endings of both these games probably didn't uh, help the country, but uh, I was a fan of the AFC and NFC Championship games. Maybe until the end of the Saints Rams game being spoiled, but I think I thought both were very very entertaining games. And I there are, there are some years where the AFC the Championship Series or Championship Weekend is even more entertaining than the Super Bowl and. Uh, in this case, with how the Super Bowl went, I think the AFC and NFC Championship games were very, very entertaining. So I went with those two as uh, best games. So I don't think my game is necessarily like the most important or the one that a lot of people would agree is the best game, but for, it sticks out to me as the one I enjoyed the most. Um, and it was Week One: Saints or uh, Texans at Saints. Deshaun Watson versus Drew Brees. Football is finally back, uh, and we got to witness a great uh, quarterback matchup. And the way that game ended, three scores in the final minute uh, with the Saints kicking a field goal that seemed to put it out of reach. And next thing you know, Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins just driving down the field the way only those two can just for Drew Brees to turn around and go the other direction with Will Lutz uh, clinching the game with a a game-winning field goal. I was so pumped that football was back uh, after this game, and it really set the tone for what has been an amazingly entertaining season, especially as a Niners fan. Uh, So for me, my best game of the year uh, was that week one Texans. I remember um, talking about that game after week one and asking, was that the best Monday night game we're going to see all season? 
Probably was. You know, there, there certainly have been Probably. some other. Well, um, what about what about Colts Saints? You didn't enjoy that game. When the game was over by the first quarter. No. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I guess while well, talking about a Saints game, I'm surprised that Ben, you didn't go with the 49er Saints 48-46 showdown. Felt like a homer. <laughs> Felt like a homer. I, yeah. uh, I did enjoy that game a lot, but I have no idea how anyone else saw it because I only saw. It I thought the it was the best the game all fan. season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way. So. Okay, well, I guess um, I will uh, conclude this best game by uh, talking about one that is kind of in the middle of you guys and that it wasn't on the biggest stage, but it did matter. And that goes to the NBA playoffs. And that was game three of the Western Conference quarterfinals between the Portland Trailblazers and the Denver Nuggets, a game in which the Trailblazers won 140 to 137 in four overtimes. And this is a game that when it came down to it, I didn't really care who won, yet I couldn't stop watching it, even with the fact that I was in Las Vegas. I was actually with Ben and some of our friends sitting at the the Hershey World chocolate bar at New York, New York Hotel and Casino, just streaming it on our phones, you know, watching this game to the finish. Because it's so entertaining. And uh, just being able to see this game keep going and going, and every time you think it's over, someone hits a, a big shot to send it to the next overtime. And, uh, yeah, that's just – in terms of just the game itself, just watching it uh, from that that point of the end of the regulation all the way through the four overtimes, it, it's hard to say that was not uh, one of the best of the year. Before we move on, uh, i just like to read off Nikola Jokic's stat line. 33 points, 18 rebounds. 14 assists in 65 minutes of playing time. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of sports get criticized for their overtime rules where, you know, you might think in soccer penalty kicks are not an effective way to evaluate who's got the better team. In football, if you drive down the field and score a touchdown in the pro football, that maybe that's not a good evaluation of who's really best. I love basketball overtime. I think it's great that players are fouling out left and right, and it's just a, a a real sprint it can be, especially when you go to four overtimes. All right, so let's uh, move on to our next honor, and that is the biggest superstar of the year. So this might be the most boring superstar like we have today, but I think Kawhi Leonard, with everything that he uh, did last season, getting traded by San Antonio... Uh, after that whole debacle and then like you said Ben with the sh- crazy shot in game seven versus Philly and then to beat Giannis and then to beat the Golden State Warriors even though they were hurt uh, it still was pretty amazing that what Kawhi Leonard uh, did carrying the Raptors to an NBA title and he's now looking like the best player in the NBA and who knows maybe he might pass LeBron in terms of titles and maybe even legacy so Right now, I think Kawhi Leonard is the biggest superstar today. I I totally agree. That's my biggest superstar. And it's not just that he was playing so amazing. It was also the memes, man. Oh, the- don't forget his laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and Boardman gets paid. Everything. Everything surrounding Kawhi Leonard this year was perfect. He's one of, and not only was he the biggest superstar because he like garnered the most attention, but also the most positive attention. He wasn't out there beating up women or doing drugs or any list of like dangerous and vile things that so many great like players end up doing. So I, I just have to applaud Kawhi Leonard for just what, oh, and then he gets to return to LA like his like the team he wanted to go to and 
just form a new super team so we get to keep seeing him be relevant like everything all his moves he made uh in 2019 were just amazing I mean, Kawhi Leonard uh, was absolutely one of the the biggest superstars of the year for all the reasons you guys mentioned. Um, I'm actually going to go with a different rap, and that is Megan Rapinoe uh, from the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, To me, I mean, I I had both Kawhi and Rapinoe written down. I'm going to give her some love. Not only did she win the World Cup this year, I was a big part of that team, uh, of course, scoring winning goals in at least one, if not uh, multiple World Cup games. But she won the Ballon d'Or for uh, the best female soccer player on the planet. Uh, Megan Rapinoe, not just on the field, but off the field, uh, just being a, a huge activist for uh, you know, women's soccer, as well as just this country in general, uh, using her platform for great reasons. So to me, uh, just everything that Megan Rapinoe did, uh, particularly in the second half of the year from you know the World Cup concluding in July, um, to ultimately winning the ball and door in December is the reason why she is my biggest superstar of 2019. All right. So next let's do the breakout athlete of the year. I'll go first on this one. And I feel like this one's easy. I got, I, I, I got to give it to my man, Lamar Jackson, especially uh, with how, how much I doubted him, how publicly I doubted him, how I was so, so very wrong about Lamar Jackson, uh, and he's just been the, like the, that breakout player this year uh, to turn his game from elite running to elite running and passing. Uh, I just think it's such an easy choice uh, to pick Lamar Jackson as that breakout athlete, especially with how much I doubted him. So I figured Lamar Jackson was pretty easy of a choice, so I decided not to go with him. Uh, I kind of went off the grid a little bit for this pick. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is, has been a really good player for the past uh, couple of seasons with, with the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, and he's finished top three or around the top three in the MVP voting past couple of seasons. Uh, particularly last year, he had 41 goals and 58 assists. This year, he started off the season with 21 goals and 31 assists. Uh, and he's third in the league in points. Now, what's crazy about that is that Gabriel Landeskog and Miko Rantanen there are two wingers on that line, so basically a big three have both been hurt this year, and their and their young defenseman Cal McCarr. So it's basically been him just carrying the entire team, and the Colorado Avalanche are second in the West in points, and he's on pace this year to have fifty goals and seventy five assists. And so I know it's kind of a weird choice for a breakout athlete, but he's going from w- really good to probably if one of the best, if not the best player in uh, in the NHL. So. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to him as uh, Nathan McKinnon as my choice for breakout athlete. You know, I'll still be partial to Sidney Crosby for as long as I physically can, but uh, Nathan McKinnon is certainly going to be another one of those young uh, guys challenging him for that as uh, Crosby continues to grow older and these guys continue to break out. And like you, Brian, I also uh, decided to stay away from Lamar Jackson as a breakout athlete, or at least had a backup choice there. And uh, to me, I'm looking at a college football player, and that is Joe Burrow, quarterback for LSU. He bursts onto the scene in a big way this season, 48 touchdown passes, six interceptions, 4,715 yards passing, won the Heisman. He's a guy who could end up uh, breaking Sam Bradford's passing records in the college football playoffs, where his LSU is a number one seed. 
not losing a game this year, finally took down Alabama, thanks in large part to Joe Burrow and the way he performed leading that offense this year. Uh, And with the way he's played, he's put himself uh, very much in the conversation to be the number one overall pick in the draft. So to me, Joe Burrow is the, the breakout athlete of 2019. All right, so now uh, let's kind of stray away from some of the, the, the higher moments of 2019 and you know kind of start falling down to the lower ones. And let's start off with uh, something that we're just calling, uh, oh, yeah, that happened, as in something that we're going to look back. Whether it was looking back as you're going through your best moments of 2019 to fill out these uh, honors or maybe down the road, just uh, things that happened in 2019, they're going to have us saying, oh, yeah, that happened. So this year, or in the beginning of the year, Nelson Aguilar uh, was dropping passes constantly, uh, including the one against the Falcons to lose them the game. And this year, uh, a Philly man named Hakeem Laws uh, ran into a burning building around two in the morning, and he caught children from the, the neighbor that tossed them out the window to save them from the fire. And so after that, he's on the news talking about what happened. And he's talking about, yeah, I had to catch the children uh, coming out the window. Unlike Nelson Aguilar, who missed all his <laughs> dropped passes in the game. So he's calling out Nelson Aguilar on the news after he caught uh, a few kids from a birding building, uh, saving them from uh, from from that uh, catastrophe. So uh, I just thought that was just hysterical that even Philly... I mean, just Philadelphia fans, particularly Eagles fans, they're just some of the most ruthless people on earth that even something like this, they'll even call out Eagles players, even in a situation like this. So I just thought that was amusing. No, yeah. And also, he, uh, I, it's like they're ruthless to their own sports teams, but they're also like genuinely good people like saving babies like it's hard to top that as far as like being a good person uh and then didn't nelson aguilar actually invite him to a game oh i'm not sure i i if that's true that, yeah. that's, that's i saw funny. that on twitter he he, he like sh- reached out to him i don't know eventually how that happened i'm sure the guy took him up on it um but okay so for my oh yeah that happened it's uh i'm actually going to talk about something that didn't happen um and i'll i'll explain so in late 2018 uh sadly uh steven hillenberg died the creator of spongebob and his death kind of sparked a resurgence in spongebob and obviously spongebob's still on tv so it's still around but a lot of people who grew up with at least especially the first few seasons of spongebob kind of looked back and started to cherish one of the um you know, one of those beloved television shows from their childhood. And it sparked an idea in a lot of NFL fans. And they said, you know what? What if to honor Steven Hillenberg, this man who brought gave gave us so much joy, what if we did, did the ultimate uh, like send-off and played Sweet Victory at the Super Bowl? Everyone was behind it. Every We were so... It was the best idea that had ever happened. So, of course, the NFL says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to have a forgettable halftime show. So, for the, 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 oh, yeah, that happened, was the NFL misses a huge opportunity to be absolutely beloved uh, by SpongeBob fans everywhere. Um, An opportunity when they decided to them. 
gift wrap. Yeah, they didn't have to do anything. But instead, they said, no, NFL stands for no fun league. And also, we hate SpongeBob and Steven Hillenburg. So we're not going to play that. Uh, and instead, what was it? Maroon 5? Or it, it, like, who even cares? It was a huge missed opportunity. And uh, years from now, we'll look back and say, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, that, that was super disappointing. Uh, we definitely talked about that a lot during our uh, Super Bowl episode back in February. And for my oh yeah, that happened was actually something that did happen in February, something that I, I often forget about, despite for at least you know maybe a week or two it being huge. And that's the Alliance of American Football. Remember the AAF? That's something we're going to oh, be looking at. Good one. Yeah, <laughs> right? You guys didn't even remember it was a thing, but hey. You know, right after the Super Bowl, that AAF forums they have a huge opening week. Everyone's like, oh, this is awesome. Then another couple weeks go by, it starts to fade. Then all of a sudden, uh, Tom Dundon, the uh, owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, is uh, putting the league out of business. Yeah, players weren't getting paid. They weren't making enough money, whatever the reason was. And the, the precursor to the XFL is no more. And we'll see if the XFL returns has a, a better lasting impact in the AAF did, but uh, it was certainly a disappointing end to that league. I saw somebody tweeting updates about the XFL today, like roster moves. Yeah, yeah, they're, hey, they're all ready Some, to go. So Somebody from like, like one of the legit insiders, I'm trying to remember if it was Ian Rappaport or it was somebody like, oh, it was Adam Schefter, old Shefty himself tweeting about how the Tampa Bay Vipers traded a cornerback to the Los Angeles Wildcats and per XFL sources, wow. man. Wow, Schefter stepping up his it's game. It's legit. Right? Like- <laughs> yeah, I know ESPN already has like their entire announcing crew for the XFL ready to go. So I, I my, my expectation is the XFL is, is going to the- be able to complete a season. Is it going to be the terrible Monday Night Crew? They just get dropped? No, the it's not. It, oh. it isn't. I think Steve Levy is the main broadcaster why don't, why don't they just correctly. put him on monday night put the put the monday night crew yeah switch that yeah. <laughs> definitely relegate the monday night uh crew to the xfl as quickly as possible but here's the thing um there's a difference between the uh aaf and the xfl and it's um vince mcmahon yeah, wwe he's a he's a shrewd businessman so I would be surprised if the XFL doesn't survive if at least a season. Yeah, last time I think it only survived one season. So um, it only has to match that to beat the AAF. And you know, from there, it doesn't take much to, to surpass its previous self. I assume Miles um, Garrett has gotten like an offer from every team, at least like multi-million dollar. Kind oh, of yeah, I'm sure. To- to join their team and just, smash <laughs> other players' heads with their own helmet. He's just going to go around it's playing for everybody. Skill. Yeah, every week, you know, get suspended and play for a different team. <laughs> They're not going <laughs> to suspend him. It's the XFL. That's the whole point. Uh, all right, so let's move on to our next honor, and that is the biggest loser of 2019 in the sports world. So for my biggest loser of 2019, I went with Kyrie Irving. The Celtics coming into the season – last year were probably the favorites outside of the Warriors to win the NBA title. And then all of a sudden we see Kevin Durant get hurt and there's a wide open door to win the title this season. And what does Kyrie do? Kyrie Irving do? He ends up uh, having his ego get in the way and cause turmoil for the Celtics and everyone just hating each other. And I know a lot of people deserve blame for everything that happened last year with the Celtics, but I 
blame a lot of it, if not all of it, on Kyrie Irving. And especially the way with how Kemba Walker has played this season and led the Celtics uh, to have one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference this year. And after watching Toronto with Kawhi Leonard uh, win it all uh, for the Raptors, I I just feel like it was just such a missed opportunity. And then all of a sudden Kyrie Irving, after his speech saying like, oh yeah, if, if you guys want me back, I intend to resign. He instead uh, breaks his promise and goes to Brooklyn. And he was asked about like, why didn't it work out in uh, Boston? Like, oh yeah, like, oh yeah, my grandfather died. And so that's why I was depressed for eight months of the season. I mean, like, I'm sure it was a tough loss, but it's like, to make that as an excuse is so bad, especially when Isaiah Thomas years ago, his sister died in a car crash. And then he shows up the next day versus the wizards. And I think it was game five. I don't remember, but uh, he shows up the next game and just kills it. And he says, yeah, if that was for my sister and it's like, wow, like why can't Kyrie Irving do a little Mm -hmm. bit of that? Like on the court and do it for his grandfather. I don't know. I just thought it was such a, I didn't like the excuse. And, I didn't like how he handled the last season with the Celtics. So he gets my uh, biggest loser of 2019. Yeah, I mean, I love that Kyrie trade when it happened, but that that really grew I loved it too. pretty quickly. Yeah. And I'll admit, so. that was a mistake. He's already a problem in Brooklyn, from the sounds of it. That's another thing. So. Yeah, he's already causing issues there. Like, yeah, what, 20 playing. games into the year? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well... When I saw that biggest loser was a strategy, emphasis on loser, um, I, I, I didn't have to think twice. I immediately knew exactly who the biggest loser of 2019 is, and that's Antonio Brown, <laughs> also known as Antonio Clown. What a loser this guy is to go from like having the opportunity to make history. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but to have an opportunity to make history, he's on track to be the next Jerry Rice, and instead he wants to chase clout instead of chasing records. Uh, so he demands, you know, I, I, do, I don't want to be a stealer. You know, send me to the, the Raiders where I will freeze my feet like complain about helmets and you know disrespect the authorities on my team to the point where you know eventually I'm completely untouchable by any of these NFL teams I mean to go from the highest he goes to the Patriots too after everything that happened with the Raiders and then he doesn't even last yeah which which of course well, and this is why I like it's so frustrating because the whole time he's arguing that he's playing nine-dimensional chess. He's like, everything I'm doing is calculated and it's working out for me. You really think that I, I'm doing this on accident? You really think that I'm I'm Anto- me, Antonio Brown, is gonna let like bad things happen to me? I it was all part of the plan. Belichick had it planned from the beginning. This is just the Patriots getting one over on the Pittsburgh Steelers all over again. And now me and to- Tommy Boy are headed to the Super Bowl. And then one week later he's off the team i mean what a i mean what a loser to go from like one of the most privileged and powerful positions in the league to being completely out of the league and literally begging on social media every few weeks please somebody let me play on your team like that's the definition of a loser i like the cycle that he had he goes from just talking crap about the nfl and then he apologizes and then it's just just chaos well 
And it's also, it's so frustrating. You see this happen a lot with celebrities because with social media, you you, you can become your own PR uh, person and people who choose to follow you generally are on your side or at least have made the conscious effort to keep you in their life. So, you know, they, they might like you. And he, like now his narrative is he was unfairly removed from his workplace. He even had a post where he said, how would you feel if somebody came into work and told you you're not allowed to do the, the your job even though you were one of the best at it? And it's like, that's not what happened, you loser. <laughs> you did a bunch of stupid stuff, and now nobody wants to hire you anymore. If I did a bunch of stupid stuff at work, I wouldn't be complaining that I got fired because there would be a reason, okay, Antonio Brown? Um, so his actions make him a loser, and the way he responds to those results make him a loser, and he's like uncontested biggest loser of 2019 in my book. Yeah, I mean, Brian might have shown some bias with his uh, Kyrie Irving I'll admit I'm regretting my Take. choice now. Can I just can I just well, change mine? No, Brown? I'm gonna say I, to me Antonio Brown, and I think that there is a, some personal bias as a Steelers fan, but I don't think it's crazy to say by any means that he was the absolute biggest loser of 2019. Like you said, Ben, he he was on pace to go down as the second greatest wide receiver of all time, and he threw it all away because you know he he didn't like his situation in Pittsburgh, whether it was Ben Roethlisberger, Judas Smith-Schuster, not having guaranteed money on his contract, whatever it was, he got himself out. And he got himself to the Oakland Raiders. He got himself in a position where he could continue to be Antonio Brown, continue uh, on that trajectory he was on, continue to be one of the best wide receivers in the league, but that wasn't part of his plan or whatever. Whatever it took that ultimately ended to him going off the deep end and arriving at, you know, what is it, one Patriot place in Foxborough, Massachusetts. And from there, he had everything for him. He got to play in a game with the Patriots. And you can talk about the whole, uh, you know, due process with his, um, you know, his sexual assault uh, criminal cases against him. That wasn't what got him kicked off the Patriots. It was texting his accuser yeah Yeah. photos of her kids to a bunch of his friends me like this is a girl go get her are you kidding me and now he's gonna come out and say that oh he's he's just being unfairly treated compared to other players who have done similar things or at least been accused of similar things that he has so yeah i don't know if we're ever gonna see this guy again we're not gonna see him in 2019 and i don't i wouldn't put my money on seeing him in 2020 it's uh it's really sad and i think it's it's clear that he needs some help whether you just want to blame cte mental illness whatever he has going on he definitely is not in a great state of mind right now and i think he needs to to turn himself around uh, before he has any shot of being able to succeed in the nfl again so with that, or uh, let, let's wrap things up um, by, by saying goodbye, old friend, to someone we lost in 2019 in the sports world, whether that was just to retirement or from passing away. So I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen the movie Remember the Titans, but the coach uh, from that movie, not the, the guy who Denzel Washington played, Herman Boone, actually passed away today. Yeah, uh, I saw that. And... I was a huge fan of Remember the Titans. It's one of my favorite football movies, if not my favorite. And and it's just sad to hear that hear those that news. And um, so I went with that as my choice as goodbye, old friend. I uh, don't have one that's quite as somber. <laughs> um, I guess it was. Uh, it, I don't know. I guess it wasn't really that. It, it was the first season without him, and it was. Uh, 
my good bio friend goes to Rob Gronkowski. This is the first NFL season we spent without having the party boy fun mentality that goes totally against the Patriot grain uh, that we had in Gronk. Even if you hated the Patriots, you had to love him. Uh, and it's the league will never be the same without him. Uh, the only the only silver lining we have is that we've got somebody who's cut from a similar cloth playing on the other side of the country, uh, and and maybe George Kittle can give us uh, you know something to uh, remind us of Gronk. But I don't think we'll ever have someone who's quite like. Did him. you guys hear that story of Gronk that Bill Belichick told uh, when when he was interviewing him for the draft? He he ended up falling asleep during uh, during the interview or. Uh, his draft day or, or pro day or whatever it was that Belichick was uh, looking at Gronk for. Like he ended up falling asleep and just that was a funny story that Belichick told uh, during the... Uh, he was just talking t- like face-to-face with him and he just No, just no, fell he walked asleep. into the room and he saw that Gronk was sleeping so it wasn't like off to a oh. good start <laughs> trying to see if this guy is, uh, trying to see if Gronk is the real deal. For the Patriots, ended up working out. He ended up draft the fact that he drafted him in the second round uh, after having a bad experience of Gronk <laughs> falling asleep uh, meeting the Patriots uh, is one of the most impressive things ever. Yeah, I mean, Belichick went one for two that year when it came to to drafting tight ends with uh, questionable backgrounds during the. I mean, he went process. two for two with the talent. He just went one for two with. <laughs> Don't try to don't try to say that Bill Belichick isn't a football genius for I drafting mean, he, Aaron it, it Hernandez. Was a, okay, it technically was a steal at the time. <laughs> Much the- like picking up Antonio Brown, Belichick's in it to win games, and sometimes you have to get a guy who has, makes questionable life choices if you want to be able to beat the Miami Dolphins. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you can't hate on him for that pick. All right. Well, I, I will uh, wrap up the honors uh, with my goodbye, old friend, and. Uh, you know, in 2019, we lost a lot of legends, guys like John Havlicek, Frank Robinson, Bart Starr, some of the ones that come to mind. But, uh, you know, those are all older players. They're all all, all people who died of, uh, I believe, natural causes, or at least uh, we're, we're old enough that, you know, while their deaths are still meaningful uh, to a lot of individuals who saw them play, they don't necessarily resonate as much with me. Um so for one, I, I want to go with is uh, someone who, who is still playing the game and uh, passed away at the, the way too early age of 28 years old, and that is uh, Tyler Skaggs, who is a pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels. And on July 1st, 2019, he was found dead in his hotel room uh, right before the Angels were set to take on the Texas Rangers. Uh, he was scheduled to pitch in that series. And um, I think Things uh, were really eye-opening when later in the year we found out uh, from the autopsy the cause of his death that uh, there was fentanyl, oxycodone, and alcohol um, all mixed in his system and that uh, he was someone who who was struggling with pain and uh, was relying on painkillers and opioids for that. And uh, it came out even more that uh, apparently it was an Angels employee who might have uh, oversubscribed him or you know at least kept giving him things when he asked for them when uh, he really shouldn't have been. And I think it's just a really tragic situation that we saw. And, you know, it was, it almost felt predictable to me that in the Angels' first home game after Tyler Skaggs' death, Mike Trout would hit a home run in the first inning, kind of similar to D. Gordon after Jose Fernandez's death back in 2016. Uh, but the thing that was really special about that Angels game was not only did that happen, but they threw a no-hitter. Uh, something that has, you know, only happened, you know, hundreds of times in baseball's 100-year 
history and uh for them to be able to do that on that night was uh really special and uh you know it's just one of those things that you you know there's there's a lot of people struggling out there and you you hate to see a, a promising young athlete like uh Tyler Skaggs and others uh, pass away at that unfortunate age when they still have so much to give to to both the world and you know the game that they play and love so good choice so with that uh let's uh let's wrap things up for our 2019 best of honors and move on to the top five and uh let's kind of get get back in a little cheery again and we will uh get in the holiday spirit by counting down our favorite christmas songs in today's top five not two not three not four top five top five top five all right so ben why don't you lead us off today all right, so I want to preface this list by saying I used to be a seasonal worker at the mall. And if you've ever worked seasonal uh, work at the mall, you know that they play Christmas songs nonstop for your whole shift, yep. even if you're working <laughs> for 11 hours straight. Um, and what is that? Well, that's psychological torture. So to continue enjoying Christmas, I've had to look outside of the box to find Christmas songs that I still really enjoy um, as my job definitely extracted all enjoyment from a lot of very popular Christmas songs. So I will start with my number five, which is Little St. Nick by the Beach Boys. I'm the type of guy who I only listen to the Beach Boys when I'm in a Beach Boys mood, and that generally means this summer. Uh, so for three quarters of the year, the Beach Boys are nowhere to be found except around Christmas time because they have actually a few pretty good Christmas songs, uh, and uh, Little St. Nick is just my favorite. I also listen to some of the other ones they have. Um, and it's also kind of fitting because living in South Carolina, there are definitely days that come around or in December where it's kind of a short sleeves, maybe even shorts kind of weather, uh, and nothing matches that kind of outfit better than the Little Beach Boys. So I, that's why Little St. Nick by the Beach Boys comes in at my number five. For my number four... This is a new one for me. Uh, I had heard it before, but my brother really brought it to my attention this year. Father Christmas by The Kinks. Um, I'm a, you know, I, I like The Kinks every once in a while, uh, but this song is a pretty good rock song that you can play uh, during the holidays to really spice things up on your Christmas playlist. And the guitar solo in it is sick. Also, it has kind of a different Christmas message. It's more of like, hey, even though this is a great season to be you know jolly and have nice things don't forget that there are some people out there that still ha are have a tough time during christmas and uh, the kinks uh, make sure you know you know where your heart is this time of year uh, so father christmas by the kinks comes in at my number four shout out to my brother for uh really bringing that one home for me this year at number three i have uh this one you guys may not have heard of uh, it's all one word no spaces it's sparkle jolly twinkle jingly which is a song from the Elf Broadway musical. Have you guys ever listened to the Elf Broadway musical? No. No. Is that like the Broadway version of the movie? Yes, it's the Broadway uh, version of the movie with Will Ferrell. It's pretty good. I mean, I've only seen the TV version of the Broadway musical. They have an animated version, uh, but it's the same songs, and they're actually pretty great. They, they kind of expand. It's definitely less funny, uh, but it still follows the same general plot of the beloved movie starring Will Ferrell, and this song, Sparkle, Jolly, Twinkle, Jingle Lee, is uh, just a really happy, joyful Christmas song about um, how uh, magical the season can be if you let it be. Uh, 
be magical if you participate in all the the joy and wonder of this time of year uh so it's very new to me i only discovered this uh this musical a couple years ago so it's still one that i'm always happy to hear uh around december so number three sparky sparkle jolly twinkle jingly and coming in at my number two if you guys remember a couple i think it was actually the last year maybe it was two years ago they let Tyler, the creator, be part of the newest iteration of The Grinch, and he got to do his own very, you know, Tyler, the creator remix of You're a Mean One, and Tyler, the creator has, like, rich, deep voice. He adds, like, this really sick bass into the song, uh, and while it still is definitely very reminiscent of the original You're a Mean One, it's also its own uh, creation and Tyler Creator being one of my favorite artists, definitely like having the option of listening to uh, him around the holidays. There's this song and there's another song on that soundtrack from the movie that are both very Tyler Creator y, uh, su- like surprisingly sinister for a children's movie. But the rest of the soundtrack is not my favorite. I can't recommend the whole soundtrack, but I do recommend you check out uh, Your Mean One. And coming in at my number one, a song from an album that I actually can recommend all the songs to you uh, because it's also from a movie, but it's Scrooge from the movie The Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, and it's sung, of course, by the Muppets. This is one of my favorite Christmas movies. I watch it every year, and these songs that play throughout are also some of the songs I listen to the most at Christmas. They are my favorite Christmas carols. And it allows me to plug my own podcast, Affable Chat. We just did an episode about the Muppet Christmas Carol uh, where we give the soundtrack high praise. So uh, at number one, coming in, Scrooge by the Muppets from the Muppet Christmas Carol. I was wondering if uh, you put that number one just to be able to plug Affable Chat, but uh, it does sound like that. It's a legitimate one. This is a good song, but really the whole soundtrack is... uh, kind of comes in at my number one because they're the songs that I've listened to ad nauseum for years at Christmas. I can't seem to get tired of it. Yeah, so I know I've seen The Muppets Christmas Carol, but I I don't know if I've seen it since like elementary school. So I might have to to go back and watch that before the holidays or over before uh, listening to that episode. So that way I I fully, fully connect with everything you guys are talking about. It's a lean hour and 20 minutes. And, And while I'm plugging my other podcast, we're also about to drop our episode on the Santa Claus. Nice. Um, So it's another uh, well, of course, starring Tim Allen. So just <laughs> if you're in the Christmas movie mood and you want to listen to a podcast about it, we've got you covered. This is the time of year to do it. Also, you got to wait until next December. That's um, right. So I, I'll go ahead with my top five. Um, and uh, for me, I have a bit of a mix with my my choices here between some of your more traditional ones as well as some of the more pop ones and i'm gonna get started with uh, my number five feliz navidad by jose feliciano as uh, ben will be able to tell you uh, feliz navidad translates to merry christmas in spanish and prospero año y felicidad <laughs> is uh, happy new year and happiness so um yeah yeah i actually can uh confirm Corey's telling the truth here. He's not lying to you. Yes, I took spanish for four years in high school and uh that's actually took, one of the I reasons took- why Go ahead, Brian. I took Spanish for three years. I didn't know what he was, what he was talking about. <laughs> All right. Hey, that's... Um, 
Yeah, so I I, uh, I took it for four years in high school, and uh, by Spanish four, I was uh, realized, hey, I probably should have stopped this a while ago. I was never going to become fluent. But one fond memory I have from my Spanish four class was that uh, I tried to convince a few people in my class that Jose Feliciano was my uncle. Uh, Tio Jose. And I actually did convince one girl in my class that he was. And uh, the only reason why I got found out was when I, I showed a, a poorly, poorly photoshopped photo of me with uh, in my living room with just this blown up Jose Feliciano from a concert and said, yeah, this is me and my uncle on Christmas. Um, and then another fond story I have from this that also is a reason why I made it my number five. So on Christmas Day in 2016, we were just talking about Antonio Brown back when he was at the top of his game as a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He caught a game-winning touchdown pass against the Baltimore Ravens with nine seconds left to clinch the AFC North for the Steelers, uh, ultimately uh, leading them on a run to the AFC Championship game. But that night, you know, just with the, the way the Steelers won in that game, it definitely inspired the Novotny household to have uh, – more than our fair share of drinks, uh, particularly my dad was uh, very happy in a very festive mood. And he kept randomly uh, breaking out and saying, Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, re- we were all really enjoying ourselves that night uh, because of that moment. So those are uh, two, two fun little stories I have that make that song my number five. At number four, uh, one of the the better pop Christmas songs out there, Last Christmas, uh, particularly the Wham! version, as they were the ones who originally wrote that. Uh, This is a song that I think in in recent years I've really grown fond of. Um, Very much one of those Christmas love song type songs out there, but uh, I think I I enjoy those kind of Christmas songs better than listening to Jingle Bells all year round. So number four, Last Christmas by Wham! Followed by number three, I, I got to include it in my top five. All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. You know, this this isn't my favorite Christmas song, uh, but it, it's definitely one of, uh, if not the most fun Christmas songs that you can throw on, whether you're at a party or even just, you know, out and about, you know, throwing it on the, the radio as uh, you're doing your Christmas shopping, you're walking around the mall. It's just something that gets you in a festive mood. And really the great thing about this song is it doesn't have to be Christmas time for you to enjoy it. Uh, back in June, I was in Baltimore with some friends uh, the night before one of our friend's wedding, and we were at a bar that had karaoke, and a couple of my friends decided to sing this song, and the whole bar was loving it. Uh, I remember them apologizing to the, the DJ for karaoke, and he's like, are you guys kidding? I love this. It's the best song anyone's done all night. So uh, it's, it's one of those songs that you know everyone can enjoy. Everyone knows the lyrics, and if you're in a big group of people, you're going to belt them out and have yourself a good time. So all I want your Chris- for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. It's currently the number one song on Billboard yeah. Hot 100. She got the bag with this one, man. Like, you have to respect what Mariah Carey did when she was like, you know what? I'm just going to own Christmas forever. Yep, yep. that's what she's done. Uh, that's That song has certainly uh, been around all throughout when we were going to school and, you know, still going strong to this day. So... From here, my one and two, uh, these, I, I kept going back and forth with them, uh, but my number two, 
I'm going with The Christmas Song by Nat King Cole. This is a song that you might uh, more familiarly remember it by its opening lyrics, Chestnuts Roasting or an Open Fire. Uh, This one really particularly stands out. Just a nice, calm, soothing voice of Nat King Cole. Uh, very, very much one of those relaxing Christmas songs. Just one that I, I enjoy really, uh, you know, just singing to myself in the car whenever it comes on the radio, and just uh, really enjoying that time of the year. As uh, he he has uh, just a phrase for every kid from one to ninety-two: "Merry Christmas to you." So that song by Nat King Cole is my number two, and then my number one. Sleigh Ride by Ella Fitzgerald. I think this song is most prominently featured, as far as I know, in Elf, uh, the movie. Not you know, might might be in the musical as well, uh, but uh, I think it's in the scene when Buddy first gets to New York and he's he's wandering around, going to the you know all the 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 number one coffee shop in New York, spinning through the turnstiles, and uh, Ella's in the background saying that it's uh, lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Uh, to me, that is that is uh, my number one Christmas song, and I feel confident in saying that just barely above Merry Christmas, uh, or the Christmas song, Merry Christmas to You by Nat King Cole. So I'm going to be brutally honest. I don't have any personal stories with all these songs like Corey has, but uh, That's maybe fair. a little bit. But for my number five, I went with Underneath the Tree by Kelly Clarkson. Uh, I remember when we did a top five of reality shows, we all picked American Idol. And even though she was on the first, literally the first seasons of American Idol, uh, I actually, in my opinion, I thought she had the best voice set of anyone, any contestant that's ever been on American Idol. And uh, I think Underneath the Tree is a very catchy tune. And it's one I, if if it ever shows up on the radio in the car, like I, I like to listen to it. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a huge fan of that song and other songs that she's written. So. I went with that as my number five. My number four, I went with Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Uh, if you don't know what song that is, that's the the sort of Christmas carol. It's a rap, but it, it's a Christmas carol that shows up in the beginning of uh, uh, the movie Die Hard, a movie that I like, uh, I like to watch around Christmas time. If it's a Christmas movie, that's a debate for another time. But uh, I'm a huge fan of that song and other songs of run dmc and so i went with that as my number four my Ben's number a movie three, expert is die hard a christmas movie that is not a movie we've done yet we thought about doing it we vo- we let people vote on whether we were going to do that last year okay and, but is uh, it a christmas movie they went with the grinch the original grinch instead um well i i've learned that you can't really make an opinion on a movie you haven't seen so as a person who hasn't seen die hard wow i cannot <laughs> tell you yeah well, I'll tell you, it's a great movie, but Christmas movie, that's up to you. In my opinion, I I, I honestly have never choose, chosen a side. I've always been in the middle, and it's just well, fun to watch people argue about it. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's one of those things that, at this point, I just think it's like, is a hot dog a sandwich, or do pi- does pineapple belong on pizza? It's one of these played-out arguments that I, I don't think has a right or wrong answer. People just love to argue. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it, about that topic. Uh yeah, so for my number three, I went with Santa, Santa Claus is Coming to Town uh, by Bruce Springsteen. There's a, a million versions of this song, of course, but my favorite one is the Bruce Springsteen one. Uh, and it's like, Santa Claus coming to town. Yeah, I I love the. <laughs> I know it's a horrible impression of Bruce Springsteen. I apologize to you, to you guys. No, I know exactly which one you're talking about yeah. now, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially Corey since he has him as 
like yeah. it's number one for favorite rock <laughs> rock rock stars so uh but yeah that's my favorite version of santa claus coming to town and it's a great song so i went that as my number three my number two i went with linus and lucy from the vince garali trio now if you don't know what this one is this is the uh song from the peanuts uh christmas uh, episode or movie where uh Linus and Lucy and everyone else, all the other characters are in, on stage, and it's the piano version where there there aren't any lyrics to it, but uh, it's a super catchy tune that uh, that I like playing uh, on the, in the house during Christmas time when putting up the decorations. It's one of my favorites to listen to, even though there's no, no lyrics to sing along to. It's just the piano bit is is very catchy. It's my favorite out of out of all the Charlie Brown songs. So that's my number two. And my number one, I went with What Christmas Means to Me by Stevie Wonder. Uh, Corey talked about how Sleigh Ride uh, plays when in the movie Elf. This song also plays in the movie Elf uh, when Buddy and his brother are, they, they go in the snowball fight and he ends up finding out that, wow, this is, he's, he's really nice and cool and fun to hang out with. So they end up going around the city and jumping on the beds uh, at that store. And that's when the song plays. And uh, Stevie Wonder, he's a, I'm a huge fan of, and uh, with that song and the song uh, Superstitious, and it's again another catchy tune. I don't really ha- like, I don't have any personal stories to tell like Corey does, but uh, it's another song that I'm a huge fan of. So that is my number one choice. Yeah, so that song I, I, doesn't ring a bell to me, but the fact that it's an elf and you know in that snowball scene, I'll have to. It's to after the snowball listen scene. for it. After it, okay. Yeah, I'll have to like listen right for it. because yeah. uh, my family watches Elf every year on uh, Christmas Eve, so mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll definitely be be watching for that. You know, listening for it while I'm watching. So, all right, with that, that uh, will wrap up a another episode of he's done it and our our final episode of 2019 so it's been a great year uh thank you to everyone who has listened from the beginning everyone who started listening at any point in the year Uh, we hope that you continue to support us in 2020 and beyond so uh, do you guys real quickly any new year's resolutions as we we look forward to 2020 Uh, whether it's about the podcast or just in general buying a new mic so I can sound like you guys. That's my New yeah, Year's That's a good one. There that's you a go. great one. Um, my New Year's resolution is to, um, like, st- I have uh, health benefits with my work, but I never go to the doctor. So my health, my, my Check to see uh, if ben resolution is, okay. is, is to go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I feel fine, but you gotta, it's important to keep up with your health. Get ahead of problems, not once you start feeling bad. I like how we picked ones that we can resolve within <laughs> not even a day. <laughs> It's not even like a, a whole year thing. Like we can just do it right there. And then we, we, we figured yeah, out resolution well, I, for the year. Yes. <laughs> well, I just feel like people try to do too much with their resolution, end up doing nothing. And whenever I pick something manageable, I'm usually good to go. Oh yeah. Li- go. Like lying yourself that you're going to get the six pack for, for new year's. And then you end up just quitting on the third day and then end up going to McDonald's. Yeah. You know, I I know I'm not going to get a six pack. I think uh, my resolution for 2019 was to get in shape. And now for 2020, the goal is to stay in shape. Uh, I think in terms of the podcast, you know, keep putting out some great episodes and, uh, you know, try to grow this content more and more. Try to, 
uh, expand our reach, our uh, listeners, and to uh, continue to do some awesome stuff. And I think we we ended on a high note with that greatest U.S. sports moments of the 2010s. You know, we got to wait 10 years to do greatest sports moments of the 2020s, so uh, we'll have to come up with some other fun stuff to do in the meantime. So for Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Happy holidays and happy new year.